This is an AMI podcast. Welcome to AMI Audio. I'm Ryan Delahanty. The following is a special interview with Anirudh Kool, head of AI and research at Ira, seen AI founder, and author of Practical Deep Learning for Cloud and Mobile. Mr. Cool was recently invited to Halifax, Nova Scotia to receive one of four inaugural Aram Awards, honoring Dalhousie University alumni for their achievements and celebrating their ideas, knowledge, and talent that helps to shape a better world. During his time at Microsoft, Cool, along with his team, developed Seeing AI, a talking smartphone app harnessing the power of artificial intelligence to provide descriptions of nearby people, text, and objects. It was an instant success when released in 2017, quickly becoming the de facto app used by the blind community worldwide and receiving the Helen Keller Achievement Award from the American Foundation for the Blind. In 2018, Cool joined the company Ira, which provides people who are blind or low vision with instant access to real-time visual information from a team of trained agents. Ira was named as one of the best inventions of 2018 by Time Magazine, and Cool recently showcased Ira at the United Nations AI for Good Global Summit. Following a presentation and live demo for CNIB Halifax clients, Mr. Cool joined us in the AMI studio to discuss his work using AI and technology to break down barriers and foster inclusion. Here is our conversation, recorded June 1st, 2019, in Halifax. Hi, my name is Anirudh Kaul. I am the head of AI and research at a company called Ira. Why are you in Halifax this week? Halifax is the place which is close to my heart because I studied here at Dalhousie University. 14 years ago, I came in here to learn about more about computer science and machine learning. Luckily, that was the launching pad for my career. And 14 years later, I'm really privileged to be one of the recipients of Dalhousie University's Alumni Award, uh, which is a ceremony that happened yesterday. So it was exciting to meet all the professors who basically nurtured me over time. How do you feel that society tends to view disability, and how have your own personal perspectives maybe evolved? So society in general has a bias towards people with disabilities, looking at them from a lens of the word limitation, that there's a limitation in what they can accomplish, what they can achieve. And this is basically a bias that everyone has because they might not have interacted with someone in this particular community. And every now and then when you hear about someone doing something extraordinary, extraordinary in uh, your own sense, it might feel like, no, this is pretty accomplishable. Eric uh, Wiehenmeyer, he climbed Mount Everest and he was blind. So something like a disability did not affect him at all because to him, he had his own ways and whole tools to get stuff done. Eric Manser uh, regularly runs uh, marathons. In fact, he created a world record at the Ironman triathlon. He did while being blind. And the key point again being uh, he had his own tools. Mark Ricobono drove a freaking car at the Daytona International Speedway because he had the tool at his disposal to figure out how to understand his environment. His car was fitted with a LiDAR sensor, and it was essentially conveying the information to his fingers by a vibrating glove. 
so he could understand when somebody there was an obstruction in front of him how to react to it and he reacted to it essentially it was not somebody else doing it for him and that's the point we think of the world for people with disabilities as limitations but it's essentially a lack of tools for them fitting their environment the world health organization defines uh, disability as merely a mismatch between a person and the environment they are in and i'm with the right right tools people are limitless so the challenge here is coming up with these tools to empower them to do whatever they want and i'm excited that with some of the technologies that my teams have worked on we have been making able to make a small difference in people's lives in a meaningful way to that point with the mismatch of tools and with you know technology and the proliferation of you know a huge variety of tools some may have a little bit of redundancy between them in getting into sort of universal design can you talk a bit about some inventions that were designed by or for blind people but wound up having a more universal benefit we talk about necessity is the mother of invention but i would argue that accessibility is the catalyst when you look at back in the 18th century pellegrino turi was trying to figure out how to make his blind lover write legible letters and he ended up inventing the typewriter many people might not know what it is i'm talking about the youngsters but uh, he figured out a way for a need that someone else in his life had but essentially today when you use your mobile phone that's what you use right that same qwerty style keyboard later in the 1800s alexander bram bell was experimenting with hearing devices and hearing tools for his wife and mother who had profound hearing loss and ended up essentially inventing the telephone which you all use today ralph teeter this ingenious mechanical engineer who happened to be blind was particularly susceptible to motion sickness while he was in a car and ended up inventing the cruise control uh you know we can keep going on and on we all listen to audio books today but back in the 1930s we had Royal National Institute for the Blind record these gramophone records 45 minute books that you could read on similarly Vint Cerf who whose wife had profound hearing loss was figuring out how to convey to her better than calling her on a telephone and invented the email right and that's like should probably show that something that was novel earlier for built for a person with a disability has mainstream use essentially few years later like the best example i can actually give you is ray kurzweil the famous inventor back in the 1970s was flying in an aeroplane next to a blind gentleman and asked the blind gentleman in a conversation like what is that one thing that you essentially want and the person says i want to read so ray kurzweil goes back to his garage and starts making this washing machine sized machine which is called a reading machine and it helped invent the optical character re- recognizer a scanner a font reader text to speech like you use in siri today and essentially these are tools that each one of us gets up to use on a daily basis and that's the key point accessibility accelerates innovation so what's novel today will be used by everyone tomorrow for someone with a disability going from not being able to do something to be able to do something with still having error 
is more acceptable than having complete perfection in it. And that's a great launching pad for many inventions. And so to that point, um, can you maybe talk a little bit about um, your kind of uh, burgeoning interest in technology and your path towards the work you're doing now? So I have been uh, working in the area of machine learning for the past 12 years. And especially when AI started to kick off in 2012, 2013 with understanding images at a better level than ever done before, uh, that was another exciting area. And, you know, as most te technical people try to figure out where they can use a technology, I started to look out for some of the uses. And one of the areas I found that it might be useful would be for people with accessibility needs, whether it's someone with a profound hearing loss, so you can do speech recognition, but in a different and better way, or would it be for someone who is uh, has vision loss, and maybe we could build a tool for them. So many of my friends who are like-minded also wanted, uh, were also thinking in the same way, and so we all just grouped up together to create some tools. And that's the story that I'm still continuing on previously at Microsoft and now at Ira. So I'd heard in some of your speeches, uh, you're mentioning how your grandfather had served as inspiration to you. And I think that touches on um, Alexander Graham Bell and different people where, you know, you want to do something that maybe has a concrete benefit to the people in your life. Can you talk a little bit about um, that experience and how that sort of shaped the work you do? When I immigrated to Canada 14 years back, Skype video calls would keep me and my family connected over the large distance, especially with my grandfather. So think of weekly video calls with happy smiling faces appearing on it. But as time went on, it became apparent that my grandfather gradually started to lose his sense of vision and hearing. Simple conversations became tiring because each sentence had to be repeated louder. My grandfather, who was a lifelong educator, a professor, an author, and an avid reader, was having a hard time reading books. And finally, one day, he was not able to recognize my face on a Skype call. And that was heartbreaking. So I started looking out for tools that might be helpful to him and was shocked to see the state of technology. I mean, we live in a day and age of self-driving cars, and here, tools for the blind and low-vision community felt decades old. So when you can't find a solution, you do the next best thing. You go build it yourself. So I got started, met a group of like-minded folks, and we started to explore this area of using artificial intelligence for the blind and low-vision community. I have been working in this area for the past six years now. When we come back, Anirudh Kool talks about the value of hackathons. You're listening to a special conversation with Anirudh Kool on AMI-audio. I'm Ryan Delahanty. You're listening to a special conversation with Anirudh Kool on AMI-audio. You've spoken to how um, participating in hackathons has helped to maybe jumpstart some of this work. Can you explain that in a little bit more detail? So during my career, I found this really exciting thing called a hackathon. A hackathon is basically a programming event. Think of it like for 48 hours or 72 hours or for an entire week. You get the time to go whatever you are dreaming about. 
usually it's technical people but often it can be someone you build a team with technical and non-technical people to think of a product and go build it and it's exciting because you're getting stuff done in a very short period so at Dalhousie University I got introduced to this concept and I started going there thinking of an idea which has insane user value is cool and has something which is hard to do or maybe hard to replicate so with these three concepts you know uh, I would go and build a team and our team would participate in many of them and over time when you build something which works and has decent value you then start to figure out how can you bring it in real life so you'd go to your boss and say hey you build this in two days can we go give me two weeks and we'll be able to make a business case for it and he'll say okay all right let's do that two weeks later you go back to the boss and say hey look the business value is pretty good why don't you give us two months and an entire team and we'll build this in real life and then you know you slowly start and asking for funding so i've been lucky to have uh, bosses and mentors and the organizational support where they would go and fund some of these ideas and i'd basically get to work on a dream job which is basically a hack that we had been working on before so don't think of hack- hackathons as hackers like you know people think usually but a way to make dreams a reality and interestingly at microsoft we have the planet's largest hackathon with like 18000 to 24000 people participating year on year microsoft ceo satya nadella he gives everyone in the company an entire week off to go chase their dreams and well when you have an opportunity like that you swipe right on it and <laughs> grab it so many of my friends uh, would uh, come together thinking of ideas and then making them real and then when things become real in those 7 days then you ask for funding and then some of the apps that i have worked on including singia came out from that hackathon And so at these hackathons you're sort of getting the the foundation the core concept of seeing AI how did that sort of uh, become the bigger project so how did seeing AI get from that early concept stage to actually being available to the public I met a like-minded group of folks at Microsoft who wanted to explore artificial intelligence for the blind community so we formed a group of 16 people around the world and we came together for a week to experiment and we built a hack prototype and back then it was basically a cell phone duct taped to the head which could talk to you you could ask questions and get you some answers and then describe the world around you and do a few more things and that was the first prototype i mean you can't ex- you can't expect geeks to be fashion forward but taking that looking at the fact that it was able to run we got a lot of support from people in the company eventually getting funding with which we could bring out the singia app out to the market in 2017 july gradually more and more functionality being added over time with seeing ai had you was there much involvement from the blind and partially sighted community to help uh, refine what it can offer or maybe add different functionality to it When you develop a product you want your ultimate user to be part of your team and not just a user and uh, that's what we tried to bring to the table while developing seeing ai originally a group of interns at microsoft vancouver garage were doing this amazing internship called the garage internship we're building the app part of it and 
we reached out to CNIB, who helped guide us into what are the needs, what are the usability, what is realistically possible, and what is just throwaway fancy demo which will never be of any value. That guidance helped us to make a decent prototype that helped us get the funding. And that was exciting. During this journey, we learned a lot that many times we think of something as engineers because we just try to see, hey, here's a technical solution and just plug it inside the app and job done. And we forget about usability. We forget about the realisticness of is this even useful? And many times it was an egg on the head of how we are thinking about it. But now constantly having the user as part of our team helped us iterate on the design, learn what's not working, how to improve it step by step, and make a user design that works. More than the engineering part of the app, it's the usability and the design which people value because it works efficiently and gives you feedback in real time for many things. What people tell that they like about the app is that if you don't know how to even point a camera at something, the app gives you feedback in real time to help them point the camera correctly. And we learned that during our design sessions. It's exciting to see that you can use AI and the design skills together to bring success to a task. So for people who haven't used seeing AI, who may not really have any concept of uh, the different tasks that it can help with, can you maybe give us a bit of an overview of uh, the different functions that it serves? Seeingia is a free app on the iPhone, which uses computer vision to understand the visual world and then give simple descriptions. It's composed of a group of channels or modes, each doing one thing at a time, whether it's reading text in real time, whether it's recognizing the currency you have at the cashier's counter, whether it's recognizing the color of your shirt so that you wear the correct clothes in the morning when you are going for your job interview, or whether it is reading a menu, or even that handwritten card that you got from your grandma as a greeting card. It has a bunch of these channels or modes inside it that you can use. And more, for example, recognizing faces in real time or understanding a scene using whatever is available as this latest state of art. So it has these modes that can help you do tasks, one task at a time, where you are the driver and you decide which task you wanted to finish. And it's happening all on the phone, sometimes in real time and sometimes using the power of AI running on the cloud. So for something that had um, a long, prolonged gestation period, so many hands involved in creating it and refining it and shaping it, can you talk about the experience of uh, putting it out into the world and getting people using it and hearing back from them? You know how you live in your own bubble for the longest time and then one day you get out of that bubble? By the way, I'm saying in a positive way because internally we knew that it would be useful, but we didn't have enough confidence of how useful it will be. We would assume that if we had a few hundred users using it, that would be success for us. Once we released it, it suddenly became a viral hit. It was the rank one searched app on the App Store, and the blind and low vision community actually made it the rank one app. In fact, it was one of the first times that an accessibility-related app was the rank one app. It was featured on the App Store homepage. 
it suddenly started to get so many people trying out downloading, and it all happened organically without having to market it. So our user base, who's usually a little skeptic of hearing new technologies, gave it a shot, liked it, and then told other people about it. And watching people sending us emails on how it's making a difference to their lives, on how they are using the task, things that we never imagined, was the most exciting and motivating things. Because when you read these emails of how it makes an impact, it doubly motivates you. So our team would be doubly motivated when they would hear these real-life stories and would want to do more. And that's what keeps them going. Were there any surprises from uh, people using the app in ways that you hadn't anticipated? We were surprised at the ways people were using the app, which we did not anticipate. For example, when we released the app, it had a few modes, including face recognition, but it did not have a currency recognizer. So what people did is they pointed the phone at the middle of a currency note, which usually has the photograph of, say, a president, and then trained his face to recognize that that is the $5 guy. And that surprised us. But it also gave us the hint that, yeah, people want to use it for currency recognition. So eventually we released it. Let me give you another example. The app can read text in real time. And we thought people will use it to sort between their junk mail and the bills that they need to pay. And then people started to give us amazing examples of how they use it. People started to sit in the back of cabs, pointing the phone outside the windows, and started discovering new stores that had opened in their neighborhood. Or somebody reaching a train station and now knowing which station they are at because the app could read the giant train station name. Another example is some people started putting the phone on a tripod, pointing it towards the television, and started watching Korean movies because the app was reading the subtitles in English. Another example is with the face recognition, many people started to train the faces of their colleagues and get them to recognize Right? I mean, we thought of that would be the use. But a professor trained the faces of her entire classroom, put the phone on her desk, pointed it towards the door, and now students cannot walk inside the classroom late anymore. They would get busted. So tons of these examples that we found. The most amazing example we found was of Professor Jose, who's based in Puerto Rico. And during the hurricane in Puerto Rico, he used the app at a particular place. And in the scene description mode, which basically tries to describe the scene, it said something along the lines of a muddy river. And Professor Jose said, wait, something is wrong here. Because the last time he tried the phone at this place, the phone said, it's a bridge over a body of water. The bridge had flown away in the hurricane. And thank goodness he didn't try to cross that. And that story was deeply memorable and motivating at the same time of the power of what happens when somebody has a tool at their disposal to do whatever they want. After the break, Anirudh Kool and I will discuss the intelligence of barcodes. You're listening to a special conversation with Anirudh Kool on AMI-audio. I'm Ryan Delahanty. You're listening to a special conversation with Anirudh Kool on AMI-audio. One of the biggest advantages of a smartphone is that it can replace a lot of single-purpose accessibility devices. 
which are often cumbersome and expensive and sometimes quite difficult to learn. Can you talk about the built-in barcode scanner and any challenges present in training the user to work it properly? The barcode reader in Singe is a great example of what happens when engineers think with a design mentality to make something successful. So users came to us and said, hey, we want to recognize products. And we said, that's easy. All you got to do is put a barcode reader inside the app and job done. Great, right? So we did that. Turns out it's a garbage idea. Because if you're blind, how on earth are you supposed to know where the barcode is to begin with? And if any of you have been to a self-checkout counter at a grocery store, you know how hard it is even for a sighted person to scan the barcode. So the next step we did was we took thousands of photographs of barcodes at different angles, different lighting, different framing, and we trained an AI classifier and then attached a beeping sound to it. So next time when you have something in your hand with a barcode that kind of resembles like a barcode, it would start to make a beeping sound, you know, kind of like that Giger counter. Uh, and so you take an object and start rotating in front of you with the cell phone, smartphone, camera, looking towards the object. And the moment the barcode starts to be visible, it would make a beep. Maybe it gets closer, beep, beep. And the more closer it gets, it will start beeping more. So the person who's using it after some practice will know, okay, I know how to where the barcode is kind of somewhere here. Let me try to bring it closer. And as you start bringing it closer, it will recognize the barcode because we have a barcode scanner inside it and job gets done. And that was amazing because we found with a lot of feedback that previously many of the same users never used barcode readers on a cell phone. We got to know about a charity which raised a few million in charity to distribute hardware barcode scanners. You know the kind that shoot laser rays? And these are hardware scanners which are expensive. It's a great tool, but you have to pay for it, right? And now with the power of, with the power of artificial intelligence, you can do that decently for free. And how cool is that, right? Absolutely. That's the power of AI. I've heard lots of tips and tricks passed around the blind community about using rubber bands or other tactile markers to help differentiate between uh, your can of tomato puree, tomato paste, diced tomatoes, and crushed tomatoes. Did users give you any good suggestions on improving the usability of seeing AI? So we try to incorporate the best tips inside the app itself in the help menu as well as in uh, in video tutorials that we have put inside the app. We also get some you know common feedback that we uh, try to explain. For example, people can buy those small little reader stands uh, inexpensively available on Amazon for like you know 15, 20, 30 bucks, which if you're trying to read a long document, it might just be easier to keep the document underneath the stand and put the phone on top to do better. Uh, a common tip we give to people is use the app in good lighting because, hey, it's a camera at the end of the day. Camera needs light. So you feed it what it needs and uh, you'll get good results. Another feedback is to keep the object and arm's length away because if you keep something so up close, the camera might not be able to see the full thing and not might not be able to give a better answer there. One interesting aspect that I wanted to highlight was how AI can influence behavior. So inside Singe, there's a currency classifier. And the currency classifier, usually we want people to keep the currency note about six inches at least away. And the reason is because when you keep the phone to up close, you might not be able to see the full evidence 
imagine there is a five or whether it's a 50. How do you know if you can only see just the five of them, right? It might look very similar. So for those reasons, we wanted people to keep the phone six to eight inches away. But sadly, six to eight inches is anything to everything for two different people. So how do we solve that? So while training the currency classifier, we trained it in a way that it recognizes close-ups. So it might actually know that this is a $50, but it will keep its mouth shut and not speak it out, just in case it might be wrong. To increase this accuracy, people started to, when they people start to use this again and again, they realize, oh, the app is not saying anything, but it's actually because they didn't adhere to the tutorial and they instead just tried to use it by keeping the note up close and they are probably up too close. And they would say, hey, it's not running. It's not giving me any answer. And as they try to bring the app behind, further away, as soon as they would read six to eight inches, the app would blurt out, it's a $5. And they'd say, okay. And then when they do it again and again, they would realize that they are getting an instant answer if they use it the way it's intended to. And that became muscle memory. So even though the app knows which the currency node is, it's actually keeping its mouth shut, so it's getting you in the habit. And that's an interesting aspect of when AI and human-computer interaction combines together to make something as a habit. And now you can get that thing done very quickly. Some people might have found it a little bit surprising that um, this Microsoft app, Seeing AI, was exclusively put on Apple Store. Uh, was that just due to that being where the user base was? Or were there any other factors at play with that? So Microsoft's mission is to empower every person and every organization to do more. And they really believe in it. And what that means is wherever the user base is, going and meeting their demands on whatever platform they are on. In this community, as we are starting out, especially in North America, the iPhone would be the platform for this community. And that's what we embraced. And that's why the app is there. When we return, Anirudh Kool and I chat about Ira. You're listening to a special conversation with Anirudh Kool on AMI-audio. I'm Ryan Delahanty. You're listening to a special conversation with Anirudh Kool on AMI-audio. Just to get back into maybe your own journey a little bit, you had uh, you know been there from sort of conception through to the release, and now um, with Microsoft, with seeing AI, there's a, a team that will sort of continue to uh, refine and improve um, that app going forwards. But you've made a transition from seeing AI to Ira, which may offer um, similar sorts of benefits. Can you maybe just talk about that move and a little bit into what Ira offers? Absolutely. So Ira is an app on the smartphone where you can download an app, press a button, and it will start to stream the video from your camera over to a live remote agent. And this remote human agent who's professionally trained in the art of describing will look at the video and then describe your environment to you. So you can go and do more. People have been using it from the ordinary to the extraordinary, all the way from simple tasks like reading your mails or reading the directions in the pantry for, you know, when you're cooking a soup, going to grocery stores and buying things on your own. You know, some fun examples are we suddenly were getting a lot of calls on Sundays because Game of Thrones was on TV, right? When the black hole was described, uh, we uh, was in the news, we got a lot of calls about describing what a black hole looks like. 
So we have people using it from the ordinary all the way to extraordinary. Examples like a photojournalist who is blind going to locations, taking photographs with the help of the agent, and then publishing those photographs in a newspaper. A user who goes and basically pitches the first ball at many of the major league games. Uh, we had a user recently who painted the Eiffel Tower. The craziest example we found was we recently had a user who, out of a bet, decided to drive a go-kart and raced it. And that was something phenomenal. And the key thing that we found was that people just were getting more confidence when they pushed beyond their boundaries to know that they can always do more. And all they need is tools that can help them. And I'm really happy to say of when I see the effects that this company is making is the reason what keeps many of the employees here as well as me motivated that there is so much that can be done with this technology. And so with seeing AI, it was really relying on, obviously, you know, humans are designing and forming the application. Um, but then from that point on, you're, you know, in that moment being assisted by the artificial intelligence. So how did you make that transition to somewhere where you're tapping into human intelligence with Ira? Previously, I was working on AI-assisted technologies. But the problem with AI is that it's still very nascent. It's very in its infancy, it's like a three-year-old. It's still learning. It has limited capabilities. And that's great that we can you know, ship some of them. And when you look at Ira, it has humans in the loop. And this human intelligence can technically do almost anything. So the hope is that slowly and gradually we can bring and teach AI to do more and rely on the human intelligence on things that it can't. So the human intelligence is used for things which are a little bit more complicated. And uh, when I was looking at how Ira is making a difference in almost every aspect of a blind and low vision person's life and what it can potentially do for people, and hearing the stories of the people of what they are able to do, it, it was a no-brainer that it would be an honor to be part of this journey. I'll give you a very simple example of the impact it's making. Uh, with IRA, we give free IRA usage for employment. And uh, we found that over 150 people got their first-time jobs while using the free employment program, where people would use it for, you know, formatting their resume, applying for jobs on a slightly inaccessible website, you know, getting just double-checked that the clothes they are actually getting in the morning before their interview are the right combo and not exactly bad, and getting and navigating to that in job interview location. So that was one impact. But the biggest impact we saw was in education. So in the blind and low vision community, there is a 50% plus chance of a student who enters university to not graduate. It's a terrible statistic, but sadly, that's still there. And so we wanted to apply IRA and see what effect can it make. And I'm happy to say that after two years, we are able to bring that dropout rate from 50% plus to single-digit numbers. Just looking at the impact that it can make in a student's life, who will then go and get a job, which means that vicious cycle of education and not graduating and unemployment is now breaking down. And the hope is that we'll be able to bring the 70% unemployment rate in this community down to 7% in, say, two generations. And that's the hope. So when you're using Ira, um, 
you're connected to an agent, a, mm -hmm. a living being who is helping you out. Now, they're not just limited to what they are seeing through your camera. Can you talk about how they're bringing in other resources to help guide you or help you conduct whatever task it is that you want to accomplish? So the IRA agent is really the celebrity of IRA. The agent is handpicked from thousands of applications. Last year, we had 14,000 people who applied to become agents, and only 1% were able to pass through that particular examination program. And then they go through a one-month-long boot camp where they get immersed in the art of describing, of using many tools at their disposal to help a user for whatever their needs are. And that's the reason why they get the level of descriptions that you expect an IRA agent to do. Let me be clear. I worked in this area for six years. I applied to be an IRA agent, and they blatantly rejected me because I was not able to pass the program. We also studied what makes an IRA agent a great agent. And in many cases, we found that many of these agents were really good at playing video games. And that puzzled us. And the reason is because people who play video games can do multitasking really well, and IRA agents are exactly doing that. So underneath the hood, uh, the IRA agent just does not only look at the video that is coming from your camera, but they are also looking at the maps, whether it's an online uh, map or it's uh, an indoor map. Maybe it might be crowdsourced a little bit with information that we might have discovered previously. They can also not just look from their camera, but they can also log on to your computer in case you are, let's say, trying to buy something from a website or you're trying to up upload an assignment on an inaccessible website. So they can use your cell phone. They can also use smart glasses if you are using that, but they can also log on to your computer and help you on a task that you require. Internally, we use many AI systems to understand what the call is about so that we can make the calls more efficient and quicker. A lot of users who make calls, you know, sometimes have a 30-second reason to call and they quickly get the job done. Sometimes it's two minutes or sometimes it's something which is a very long description. We have people who have called to describe the wedding of their daughter as it happened when they sat in the first row and the father brought the daughter and then the daughter had the first kiss, the whole thing getting described. So we have had from the 30-second calls to an hour-long calls, depending on what people need. But what we have usually found, found is that when people start using IRA, they get more efficient. And the common answer is, if you can do something more efficiently with a tool at your disposal, why won't you do that? So most IRA users, we recommend that, hey, start with a phone. Simply download the IRA app. It's freely available. It has many free offers available. And... Uh, we give a trial. So if you download the app, you get a 30-minute trial that we say use it for anything. But I challenge people to use it for something that's challenging because that's when you will find the use of IRA. As people start getting immersed in the world of IRA and they find it useful depending on the lifestyle, maybe they want it for just a few minutes a month and great. So we have plans for that. Or maybe they want it for longer. And we find that as people find more uses of it, they prefer using it more times in a given month. And sometimes people want to go hands-free because that's more convenient. So we also offer smart glasses. That is a small subscription-based glasses that we give to users, which they can use pretty easily. And the benefit of that is that it, it becomes a single press click where even if you have never used a smartphone before, 
and you don't know what voiceover is, that particular device just works. We have people who are 90 years old using it who have never used a phone in their life. And that's testament to the design of what we want it to be, which is to be as simple as possible to use. Our director of product management, Greg Stilson, who happens to be blind, wanted to go to the Super Bowl. And we said, dude, that's not possible because the moment you'll walk inside the stadium, your cell phone signal will get cut because of all the traffic condition. And he said, nope, make it happen. So we go back to the research lab, try to experiment, and come back with something called dynamic network prioritization over the cell phone network. And what that essentially means is Greg was able to go to the Super Bowl, and when nobody's cell phone was working, his glasses and system was working. And he was able to play with the NFL players, you know, pay, make some pitches there and make history. But that's testament to what the user desired and we are able to make happen. So technology just keeps getting better. And we are excited that it's getting known for the impact it's making, essentially because of the users. So with Ira, where... It is requiring the efforts of human beings, their time and energy. It is a sort of a monthly subscription model now primarily, but you've been exploring different options where this is something um, that could be really, really beneficial to people who may be low income, uh, who may not be able to afford to have a regular package of minutes. So what are the approaches you've been taking to kind of open it up to a wider audience? So we are very really aware that in this community, sometimes money can be tight. And we want to make sure that people get tools for as affordable and in the most inexpensive way as possible. So one of the routes we have been exploring is called IRA Access, which I'm the most excited to talk about. Last year, we noticed that people often use IRA to do things like walk at airports or uh, go to a grocery store and shop independently or go to universities for studying. So when we started noticing it, we approached some of uh, these institutions and said, hey, people already use IRA at your place. You should just make IRA available for free as an accommodation at your place. And they were a little skeptic, but they said, okay, let's give it a try. And we noticed that at a few stores, when we introduced IRA, 60 to 70% of the people coming in had never put their foot at one of the stores before in their life. Because till now, people were just asking their family members to go and shop. Or they would uh, wait for like a weekly assistance to do something. But now that if we can introduce IRA for free at these particular locations, people just would go and use that service. And we also noticed that the blind and low vision community was spending more when they were using IRA at these places because when you are getting an opportunity to go and independently shop, you now have this new thing which you didn't have before. Last year, we had zero IRA locations and so we started to make partners. And I'm happy to say that we already have 25,000 locations which give free IRA access all the way from airports to shopping centers to retailers to universities at University of California, especially University of California, San Diego, a student can enter, and the moment they enter into one of these zones, it just gives an alert on their phone that, boop, 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 this is an IRA zone. 
welcome and start using it. And you can just put your phone up and start using it for whatever you want in this particular location. Similarly, when you walk inside a Walgreens, you can go and shop. And we have, let's say, blind window shopping as a real thing now, right? And at airports, why sit in a wheelchair? It makes no sense if you're blind. I mean, you're perfectly able in those things. So instead of having to wait for somebody to bring a wheelchair and just take you from one place to another, now you can maybe go to the, you might want to go to the water cooler. But you didn't know that before. Now the agent is describing, so you might just want to do that while on the way. Or maybe go to a restaurant for some time. We have close to 40 to 50 airports now around the world. We have so many places that are coming up. And so what I really want to tell people is, look, go and download the IRA app, whether you use it or not. It's on your phone. But you might not know the next time you walk into a particular location that this might be the IRA location. The most exciting part that just happened in the last two weeks. IRA access happens because of customers demanding that make certain locations IRA accessible. And people in Boston demanded that. About two weeks ago, the entire transit system in the city of Boston became IRA access. So that last mile friction that people get is no more because the moment you get into any metro stop or T-line or even near uh, some of the ferry stops, you get IRA for free. And you can do whatever you want. Like, is that my bus? Like, I know I'm near a bus stop, but I know it's like within 50 feet. Like, where exactly is where do I have to stand? Now that is not a problem anymore. And for the people in Boston, that's a huge win. And that also shows the fact that when people demand, we deliver, but it only works with the people's help. When the community gets involved and demands something, let's say in the city of Halifax, in Toronto, in Vancouver, we want more and more spaces to become accessible. It starts all with downloading the app for free. And I'm also excited to share that when you download the app for the first time, you'll get a 30-minute free trial, which you can use for anything. And that's exciting that when people use the trial with something challenging, they want to use it more. Are there any changes that you'd like to see made to the smartphones themselves to maybe better facilitate Ira? 5G is a technology that's coming up, which is very exciting because then we can stream better videos. Battery life of phones is growing up. So you will notice that over time, things will just keep getting better. But we are lucky to live in this day and age where we have technology already doing things for us. So I'm excited about it. So what's next for Ira? What do you want to see happen from here? The real dream is to build confidence in people that they can do more. They don't have limitations. And if people use Ira as one of those tools in the pocket to gain that confidence to do more, and if we can make a change in employment, in education, and removing those artificial barriers, which are just small mental blocks, we would be extremely happy. The whole idea of technology is that it can remove barriers one step at a time. The preceding conversation with Anirudh Kool was recorded on June 1st, 2019 in the Halifax AMI studio. To get more information on Mr. Kool and his work with Ira, or to start your own free trial, please visit ira.io slash app. That's A-I-R-A dot I-O slash A-P-P. Thank you for listening. For AMI-audio, I'm Ryan Delahanty.
Hi, I'm Ramya Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Shaun of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.